0: Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations, so be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy Monday, everybody, and thanks for joining me today with my guest, author and entrepreneur, Monica Main. Welcome to the show, Monica.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure, you guys are really in for a treat today because Monica is a very, very interesting woman, and she's an entrepreneur, as I mentioned, and she's also an author. and She's written more than one book. She's written several, but she, we're going to be talking today about the book that she's just recently uh, published. It was actually last month when it was released to the public, and the name of that book is called The Lost Secret. Unlocking the Hidden Chapters of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. This is really a captivating story that I think you're all going to really enjoy. And before we get over to the subject of your book and and why you wrote it, I think it was always nice uh, in the beginning of the show to get to know my guests just a little bit. So could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, things like that?
1: Sure. So I was actually born in the Chicago suburbs, Evergreen Park, Illinois. And, you know, I I grew up a very humble upbringing. I mean, it was probably lower middle class, working class area. And, you know, I... At times, didn't know, I guess, how poor we were until maybe when I was older, probably when we moved out to California when I was 13 years old, that I realized when I was starting to see the dichotomy between kids that had money and kids that didn't because we, we moved directly into Orange County, which is uh, where there's a lot of wealth. And so I didn't really realize how humble my beginnings were, but I realize now how valuable those humble beginnings were to me and it just allows me to stay open to everybody and everything uh, as I progress on this path that we call life.
0: Truly. Did you um, attend college?
1: I did. So I actually got out of high school early. I actually took the CHSPE exam, which stands for the California um, High School Proficiency Exam. So I got out when I was Mm -hmm. actually almost 16, just 15 and a half when I took the test and I passed. And I just couldn't handle... You know, structured school anymore, and I wanted to immediately go into a junior college. And so I wanted to start taking entrepreneurship classes, and then I was very, very disappointed when I first started taking these classes because I realized that my first professor admitted halfway through the semester that he never actually had a business. So he wrote this book about business and talked all this smack about how to start a business, and then in the middle of the semester said, oh, by the way, I never had a business before. And I was so deflated. I mean, it's, it's like you're 16 years old. You're going into this thinking everybody's honorable and everybody is there to try to teach you and assist you, and you find out that it was just a sham. And so I just started to, I guess, become jaded at that point, and I didn't realize that that was going to be the very beginning of a very long road on the school of hard knocks, if you will, as far as – Becoming an entrepreneur and a successful business owner, because this is stuff that they simply do not teach in school. And then when they do teach it, you're being taught by people that just don't have any experience. And so, um, so yeah, I did eventually finish my bachelor's degree, and then I got a master's degree in creative writing, which I finished in 2016. So I do have a couple of degrees, and it's only because I didn't want my daughter arguing with me about how she didn't have to go to college. <laughs> That's the only reason <laughs> why I finished school, and that was it. It's it's a weird, weird weird reason, but it was a reason nonetheless.
0: Where did you get your master's? Where did you get your degree?
1: University of California, Riverside. I actually took Riverside. their low residency program in Palm Desert. It's a fantastic program for anybody who's a budding uh, creative writer, uh, including you know, screenwriting and so forth. They have some amazing programs out there.
0: Oh, that's terrific. Well, so you, so you grew up, as you said, in sort of humble beginnings. It's funny because I didn't realize when I was growing up at at the same age at 13 that that people had more than I did I, I I didn't realize that that people had more money than we did I didn't really want for anything so I didn't even know that people had more so I can kind of relate to what you're saying one of the other things that I do know about you is that you started practicing yoga at a fairly young age didn't you
1: Right. Well, I mean, it was in the Chicago suburbs. It's the Temple of Kriya Yoga, which actually still exists in Chicago. It's um, located on Kedzie Avenue. And um, a guy named Kriyananda actually had founded the Temple of Kriya Yoga, and he was a student of Yogananda. And it's based on kind of like a Hinduistic Buddhist a set of principles it's more of a philosophy rather than an organized religion and I didn't really realize that I was any different from anybody else until I started getting older and in the upper grades of elementary school when I was kind of ostracized for not being either Christian or Catholic which the vast majority of the students uh, were at that time and so um, you know it was just the way I grew up it's just it was a normal upbringing of just kind of Kind of really developing your spirituality not in an, in an organized fashion but just within yourself, and so that's what what I really took away uh, as a young age. but again, I thought that this was a normal upbringing that everybody got to benefit and enjoy
0: Why do you think that was important i mean what what did you what did you draw from that that you we were fairly young i mean what What did you take away from that and and do you still practice that today
1: i don't really practice practice it in that I don't want to call it structure because it really isn't, but I don't really do exactly linearly what they say just because I focus more on some of the basics of it, including, you know, the deep breathing exercises, the meditations, the belief in karma, what goes around, comes around kind of thing. So trying to, be the best person I can be to myself and to others around me so that I don't have to deal with any repercussions of any bad behavior on my part. And so I just keep the basics of that going. But at the same time, I've over the course of the years been able to unfold my own I don't want to call it a religion, but more of a philosophy mm-hmm. where I've been able to take the deep breathing on a different level to be able to have my own connection with the God force rather than a connection that would have been forged by somebody else's recommendations or you know philosophies in place because I feel like we all have to get to that place where you have to find a way to have your own connection and it's not necessarily going to be in a way that somebody else has told you so somebody else might be able to say hey you could just sit down and meditate every day and do this this and that and that might work for them but it might not be your your bag you know what I mean so I do you might have to you know, like I've noticed that I, I can meditate with my eyes open. I almost have to because I have such a busy mind. I'm a type A personality. And so I can meditate looking at a waterfall. But when I close my eyes, I have such a difficulty with meditation. So I found that sometimes I have to divert my meditation exercises to, you know, looking at I have a pool, uh, the spa overflows under the pool, and I'll just sit there and I'll look at that. And I'll have the best meditation between that and the deep breathing exercises. And sometimes I have to do it that way when my mind is Grand Central Station, you know. So, <laughs> um, I, I notice that when I'm able to develop my own my own methodology in my God Force connection, uh, I've been more successful with that connection. But when I try to follow somebody else's path, sometimes I'm not as successful. If that makes sense,
0: it, it makes more sense than you can even realize. I had that exact conversation about this morning about meditation with eyes open and eyes closed. So I think that's really fascinating. I'm new to this, and I also have a type A personality, and I also have a lot of noise going on up there. So for me, when I do close my eyes and I and I do attend a, a restorative yoga class once a week, um, I'm able to quiet my mind. And I, I never tried... Doing that with my eyes open, but I'm going to see what that feels like to see if what that experience is like. So, thank you for that suggestion. Um, I think it would be great as we're going to be talking about this phenomenal book that you wrote. That before we can really talk about what your book is about, and I think it's really good that we understand who um, was Napoleon Hill, if people are not familiar with his book. Think and Grow Rich. So maybe you could share well, sort of Hill, a background.
1: Sure. So Napoleon Hill, he was born in the 1800s. And when he was a young lad, and I believe it was his 20s, he was able to meet the richest man at the time. He was, a, he was not a billionaire, but a billionaire by today's uh, money, I guess you could say. But he was a multimillionaire. His name was Andrew Carnegie, and he was a steel magnate. And so he was able to meet this man, and Andrew Carnegie – which is kind of unusual for wealthy people, had a great interest in sharing the knowledge of how to build great wealth with the common man and woman at that time. And most people that are falling in the category of elite or super wealthy or powerful have zero interest in helping the common man or woman get anywhere. And so he was kind of unique in that way. So he had an early conversation with Napoleon Hill at that time, and we're talking about the turn of the century, the early 1900s, where he had asked Napoleon Hill if he would be willing over the course of a couple of decades minimum to kind of follow him around, kind of get an idea of how wealth works, but also to get cues and information on exactly how he becomes wealthy or how he became wealthy, as wealthy as he was at that time, based mostly on the mental attitude and the spiritual attitude. And so uh, he, Napoleon Hill was on this plight to kind of take notes and check things out and see how things worked and start putting together kind of a map for the common man or, or woman who wanted to become wealthy and what to do to become wealthy like Andrew Carnegie. Unfortunately, Andrew Carnegie died in 1919 before, I believe, the apprenticeship with Napoleon Hill was fully complete. But at least Napoleon Hill had enough information to start his writings. And so, with some of the other inspirational writers at that time, they were considered forward thinker, metaphysical writers like Charles Hannell, which predated Napoleon Hill. Between the writings of Charles Hanel and the information he was able to get from Andrew Carnegie, uh, Napoleon Hill began his works, um, starting with a variety of different writings over the years, including The Laws of Success. Think and Grow Rich, um, Outwitting the Devil, and many other titles that he's come up with since. And so he was originally an apprentice of Andrew Carnegie, who was at that time the wealthiest man in the entire world.
0: Isn't that so interesting? What was the difference when they met? What, do, you, do you know what the difference in their ages were? I mean, was um, Napoleon Hill considerably, considerably younger?
1: He was. He was. I don't know the exact age difference, but it was quite a bit. I do know that Napoleon Hill was a young, young whippersnapper at the time. Mm -hmm. And I I know that Andrew Carnegie was up there in age. And so there was a big difference in age between the two. And I think he appreciated, Andrew Carnegie may have appreciated, you know, the energy and the charisma and the interest, the great interest that Napoleon Hill had had because he had asked him, how do you become successful? How does one become a success? And that's what, what started the whole relationship between the two.
0: I think that's so interesting. So to, out of curiosity, what was the influence on Think and Grow Rich on you? How, how, did, how did you receive that information? What was that influence for you?
1: The very first time I picked up a Think and Grow Rich book, I was living with my grandparents when I was nine years old, and I went digging through my grandfather's closet, and I found an original 1937 version of Think and Grow Rich. I didn't know how valuable it was at that time when we were talking about 1983 or somewhere in there. And I was really enamored by the title, just the title. I mean, it wasn't even opening up the book and reading anything, but the title because growing up a poor girl in the midwest i thought is it possible to think and grow rich now of course i tried to start reading the book and it was just a very difficult read for a 9 year old i mean it's a difficult read for an adult let alone a 9 year old mm-hmm. and so um, but i was i was i was really impressed with the idea that you can literally think and grow rich and so I always remembered that, and I started to do further research as I got older into other metaphysical types of New Age titles, because my dad was a big reader, so he bought a lot of books, and he read a lot, and we went to the library a lot, and I started reading on different things and understanding how visualization worked, how understanding how meditation worked, and starting the process of doing little uh, what we call exercises to see if you can manifest certain things, and I used to work with ESP with my brother because I, I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me, and we used to do these ESP exercises where I would think something and he would tell me what I was thinking, and vice versa, just to see how thought worked. And I found that, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much power they really have between their two ears.
0: I I I, I think you're right. I I think that it is completely untapped for most of us. There needs to be a willing to want to know the information. But I would agree that we don't all recognize the value of what our mind can do and, and manifest. I think that, that that's such a that's been such a key word for me for the last several years is manifesting. It wasn't even a word I was familiar with or used in my everyday conversation, but it certainly is a word I'm very familiar with today. If you if you don't think it, it's not likely to happen. I mean, maybe it will. I mean, because there is spontaneity in life. But um, I think that's really cool what you and your brother did. Do you, do you do you were you successful in that? Were you successful in thinking things that each one of you could then realize the other was thinking?
1: Oh yeah, we were very successful with that. In fact, to the point where it wasn't until later when our adult. Um, our, counterparts, if you will, told us that that wasn't possible. And then I think it was when we had adults like our grandparents say that that's not really what people do and that's not possible that we started to lose that ability as we got older. And,
0: interesting.
1: Uh, yeah, isn't that interesting it's, how you yeah. become aware it, of something and then all of a sudden somebody tells you it's not possible, so then you say, okay, and then it's not possible anymore.
0: It, it's it's really funny. I don't know how often you you and your brother talk about those days, but I'm sure as with my kids, you, you you and your brother are probably the exact ages of my children, and um, it's interesting to listen to them reflect. And it's also interesting at my age to reflect and talking with uh, with young people about things that I remember and things that were planted in my mind and how I draw on them today. I, I don't think I'm much different today at my age than I was as a 7-year-old. I, I think I'm just... You know decades older, but the same person It's really weird
1: no, I'm, um I'm sure it's not weird at all. I think I think you absolutely are the same person. you're the same soul, you're the same spirit. you just have additional experiences that you didn't maybe experience at the age of seven that you have experienced since then, so you're absolutely the same soul, the same person.
0: Yes, you're right. I don't think that's deep. I don't think a lot of us take the time to think about those things, but when you do reflect. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting and um sort of an awesome thought process to think about things like that. That's why parenting is is so feels like a very important role that we have in life. But what I'm wondering is that with all of this interest that you had at a very young age and then, you know, picking up that book and being around books most of your life, how did the teachings help you in your business success and, and writing your book because we haven't talked about the fact that you are a multi-million dollar entrepreneur and, and you're self-made to, to get to that place, and that doesn't happen by accident. So I'm just wondering how, how you were able to use those teachings in your own business success.
1: Well, before I came across the two lost chapters, I did really well with business and investing, but I was struggling on the inside. So I don't know if you're familiar with people that are just really overstretched beyond their boundaries, (laughs) if you will, their Mm -hmm. physical and mental abilities. But I got to the point where I was just stretched. I was burning out. I didn't know how I could juggle so many things at once. And it just didn't feel like it was worth it to me anymore. I just wasn't happy or interested or satisfied with where I was. Um, And it wasn't the money part. It just was that I felt like I was on this treadmill and somebody was turning up the treadmill to go faster and faster. And I knew as I got older that I was not going to be able to keep up that pace anymore. And so I was starting to crack. And this is about the time when I came across the two lost chapters because I was thinking this this, this has got to be something else. You know, this can't be it. And so uh, with that said, I was the Lost Chapters, what it did mostly for me was gave me permission to let go, you know, let go and let God, rather than thinking that you're the puppet master having to pull all the strings at all times, and to see what would happen, because what would would be the worst case, you know, everything Mm -hmm. would go to hell, and I would have to file for bankruptcy, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that would be (laughs) the worst case, and I've done that before, and it wasn't that painful, I mean, it was painful while I was going through it, but you know, I got through it like everything else. And so I I felt like I had to start letting go and
0: mm-hmm. focusing in on
1: the things that I really wanted to to do and the parts of the business that I enjoyed the most and letting go of those things I did not like doing at all. And so I think the biggest takeaway for me was being able to let go and still not only having a very successful business, but having even a more successful business because I wasn't you know, so tight-fisted with the whole process and the whole Mm -hmm. business and the whole, you know, feeling very, I guess you could say, uh, connected and attached to certain, you know, results. I just kind of let things Mm -hmm. go and let things do what they're going to do, you know. And so I believe that I think that was the biggest takeaway for me and why and how I'm continuously able to become successful with this whole process even more so now than ever because I kind of let everything go, you know,
0: I, 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 as you and I spoke before we went on the air about my lifestyle and your lifestyle and, and words, and I mean, it's kind of like that cartoon where a light bulb goes off on top of your head. You used a word that is used a lot in my household right now, which is attachments, and, um, and by releasing some attachments and maybe some judgments, and um those those words carry a great deal of weight and it and it really can affect how you live your life and if your shoulders are up around the bottom of your ears or if they're kind of relaxed and down where they're supposed to be it, it's it's really it's quite remarkable how our bodies um, also, function when you mentioned, you know, a juggler, which I feel like oftentimes, are that treadmill that, you know, that that we put ourselves on. I don't know about if I don't know if you do this, but I'm just curious. Uh, do you ever talk out loud to yourself? All the time. All me the time. Too. In fact,
1: if anybody was ever recording me, they would probably mm-hmm. throw me in a rubber room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, I I love that you said that because I try to. I I tend to do it in the car. I, I tend to do it in the shower, you know. I, there are certain places where I just, uh, before I get out of bed in the morning, my my morning routine is oral. It is, it can't just be what I'm thinking because what I'm thinking doesn't feel the same as what I hear myself saying, and so I think I'm it's encouraged- your higher
1: self. Quite honestly, I think that there's a split. There's a split set of people there and it's not really just you talking to yourself i think it's your higher self talking to yourself because if you notice you get a lot of really good advice from yourself mm-hmm. and it's really coming from a kind of a different place if you think about it if you really feel in tune it's like something that you would not talk to yourself per se about you right know what i mean
0: I do. Like know you're getting you the
1: answers from some other place and it's almost like your higher self is either connected with other resources to give you the right answers or maybe it really is coming from somebody else through your own lips. Who knows? I have no idea how that works.
0: I, I love that though. That's 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 something that we share. So back, going back to your book. And you've talked about unlocking because I think the title of your book is so important. And I, I'm going to I'm going to say the title of your book once again, which people can purchase and they can certainly see it online. So the title of the book is The Lost Secret: Unlocking the Hidden Chapters of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. So that in that unlocking those hidden chapters, um, there is obviously a story behind knowing that there even were hidden chapters. And, I mean, I I know that we want people to read your book, obviously, but I do think this is a pretty interesting story, and I thought perhaps you could share that with our listeners.
1: Sure. So I was at a conference, a business conference years ago, and it was one of those times in my life yet again where I was hitting up against a brick wall. I was successful. I was, you know, from the outside looking in, I had it all, but I just felt like something was missing. And so after a long day of conferences, I went to the hotel bar, and I was sitting there, and I noticed an elderly man that was sitting two bar stools to my right. And we just started chatting, and we were there probably chatting for a good maybe hour, hour and a half. And at some point in time, he told me that he was the stepson of one of the people that worked for the Ralston Society, which was the original publisher of Think and Grow Rich back in 1937 and that he started talking about did you know that there's these missing chapters and at that time I was already starting to feel like I had a headache and I was starting to think that maybe the guy was a little off his rocker so I didn't really get into a lot of detail as far as uh, what his assessment or you know theory was as far as why he thought that there was two lost chapters but I did give him my business card, and I said, listen, I have a lot of other book titles. If you'd like me to send any to you for free, I'll be more than happy to do that, and I exited from the scene. And so it was years later that I actually heard back from him. His name is Roy, and he had sent me copies of the two lost chapters of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, and I was shocked. This happened in the um, holiday season two years ago, actually, in 2017. And I could not believe it. At first, I thought, "Well, could this really be true? Could these—is this a hoax? What is this?" You know. And so I really started diving deeply into Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, the actual original book. In fact, I went so far to purchase a first edition just to make sure that I wasn't getting any uh, uh, you know editions thereafter, just to make sure that I was getting the purest possible form of, of his writing to get an idea of what he wrote like, what his kind of his theme was throughout the book. Uh, what his, um, you know, how how he kind of worded things. And it was after reading Think and Grow Rich several times and then putting those final two chapters, because it was chapters 16 and 17 that were never published, and so the last two chapters that were stripped out right before it was published in 1937. And I'm like, this is it. This is the part. That's missing from this book because at the very beginning of Thinking Grow Rich, he promises a secret. At the end, I don't know if it's in the intro or the or the first chapter. I believe it's in the introduction where he says, "I will give you the secret." And at the end of the book, there's no secret. He gives you mm-hmm. no secret at all. And so, when you read the two lost chapters, you see the secret. It's there, and you're like, "Okay, this now, it all." is this is this is all fitting together, this is the puzzle, this is the missing puzzle pieces. the most important I should say, because this is the secret that even the book in the movie, the secret doesn't even talk about, and this is powerful stuff, powerful ways of being able to manifest anything and everything that you want in life, and this is the missing key It's in those two lost chapters
0: and how do you how did you I mean, I guess I would want to know, so he was a relative, and I get that. How how did how do you how did you how could you authenticate that? How how did you how did you know that they really were those two chapters?
1: Well, I didn't, and so I happened to meet my now publisher and agent his name is Bill Gladstone, and he does a lot of work in the metaphysical new age publishing field. And so he looked at them cuz I wasn't sure if I could publish them, I didn't know what the legal rights were, I had no idea mm-hmm. about any of this stuff, and so I was able to meet him through some contacts I had, and he looked at it, and he, the very second he saw these, he's like, this is definitely Napoleon Hill's work. But then he went a step further, and he gave the work to Bob Proctor, and if you're not familiar with Bob Proctor, he's also a forward New Age uh, metaphysical, um, kind of of a big dude as far as in the metaphysical world, and he was even Mm -hmm. in the movie The Secret, and he took a look at them, and he's read Think and Grow Rich every single day of his life. He, he tells everybody that. Think and Grow Rich is his book. And mm-hmm. nobody knows Napoleon Hill's work more than Bob Proctor does, at least nobody living on this planet right now except for Bob mm-hmm. Proctor. And he saw them, and, and he immediately knew that this was his work. Now, of course, to authenticate it, I don't know what procedure would you'd have to go through. Mm-hmm. I don't actually have the, the real pages. He just gave me photocopies of the real pages mm-hmm. of the book. But it seems pretty legit to me. I mean, I've gone to as many people as I possibly can to right. try to validate these, and everybody that knows his work um, seems to think that these are real.
0: Was it typed? Was it handwritten? How? What was the? What was? What did it look like?
1: These are typed out. So back in the day, mm-hmm. he used to write on a typewriter, an Elsie Smith typewriter, and so huh. you could see that it was. It looks like it was typed out by the same kind of typewriter, and mm-hmm. um, there was some some handwriting in the margins but i believe that might have been from the publisher as they were omitting certain things they were scratching certain pages out of, of out of the book but um but yeah it's just the type typewritten written pages the last two chapters so,
0: so what what what's your analysis of, of this why do you think that those the secret i mean like this is, we're getting to the point here why do you think that they weren't published what's What do you think was the reason behind that?
1: Well, there's the innocent explanation, which would be that perhaps they didn't think that it would resonate with the crowd of 1937 back then because they were talking a little bit higher in the metaphysical realm with those two lost chapters than they were in the rest of the book. And then there's the... Um, I guess you could say the more demonic explanation, which would be that they really want to hold people down and they want to disempower people, and they did not want people to know this uh, for their own personal empowerment. So I want to lean toward maybe the latter only because I've received, since writing the book, additional information about how the original Think and Grow Rich that we read, still to this day, is not really the original, original Think and Grow Rich. In fact, there's a lot of speculation that says that there was a version even before the version in 1937 that were stripped from bookstore shelves all across America when it was first published because there were people like the elite, like Henry Ford, that actually went out to make sure that none of these books would ever see the light of day because of the information that was in it. And so – Wow. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's really mm-hmm. uh food for thought if you think about it because if you read Think and Grow Rich, now it makes sense why certain things are seem really watered down. When I was going through it when I was doing research for my book, I started to notice that there were certain passages that seemed awkwardly cut off. There were certain things that were re, it looked like it was maybe reworded to make more of a I don't know, like less sense than it could have, like he could have been more direct and to the point, almost as if he was trying to give you a message without telling you straight out what he was trying to say and kind of beating around the bush in that way. So it looked like it was watered down. So as soon as I got that information and I went through Think and Grow Rich again, I'm like, you know, this really does seem like a watered down version of what it could have been. So I'm almost buying that theory of how there was another Think and Grow Rich Prior to 1937, that was published, that was stripped off of bookstore shelves and had to be rewritten. And so the version that we ended up getting in 1937 isn't really the original version at all.
0: Is it your understanding that they were both written by him, though?
1: They were both written by him, yes, for sure. Okay. And I don't know what happened to the original, original. I don't even know if he ever ended up being able to retain it. I don't even know if the Napoleon Hill Foundation has it, because the Napoleon Hill Foundation mm-hmm. is still very much alive and well today. It's, it's run by a guy, a guy named Don Green who um, heads up that establishment. And So I don't even know if any of these people are aware of any of these other versions or these conspiracies or any of this stuff.
0: That's That's, that's, that's fascinating. Can you imagine in today's world – What this would have been like with with, what the technology of today and the social media of today and the instant Google of today and how how that would just that would just be that's it's pretty remarkable when you think about that you know and and how people verify things it's really but I don't know would it
1: have gotten the attention though would it gotten I mean there's so much noise nowadays how do you get that kind of attention and how would anybody really know to direct their attention and to care about it, I guess, would be the big million-dollar question there.
0: Wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly would. And I wonder I wonder if you were to take a survey of certain decades, people of certain ages, people in their 30s, people in their 50s, people in their 60s, 70s. I wonder how many of those people really saw that as um Their way of establishing themselves in, in in industry and in business, you know I think it was was really, really respected, wasn't it? I mean truly
1: It was, but it's still a big thing. It's a big deal in certain industries like the insurance sales industry. I know most sales in most industries know the book think can Grow Rich no matter how young or old they are, but other mm-hmm. industries, like for example I was about to go on a show in Palm Springs, but the producer of the show wasn't familiar with They Can Grow Rich, and so therefore he decided not to have me on the show. Well, the guy was like in his 70s, and I'm like, how is this possible? Everybody else who mm-hmm. I've ever talked to in their 70s knows this book. And mm-hmm. so. I think it has a lot to do with the industry that you're in, not really necessarily the age, but the industry that determines whether or not you've actually heard of this book. Everybody in entrepreneurship, business, investing that I know of has heard of this book, no matter how young or old that they are. So right. I think that has a lot to do with it.
0: So for people that maybe haven't read the book and and don't understand how, how it's broken down and the fact that there are steps, for you – Well, maybe we should establish how many steps there are. How many steps are there in your book?
1: Well, I originally, well, I should say the original Think and Grow Rich had the 13 principles. Um, So I actually rode on that whole concept that he had because I wanted to honor everything that he wanted to talk about in his book. But I wanted to bring it up to speed for today's day and age. So I did do that. I honored all of his steps. And then I have my own steps, which is about eight steps, which is uh roughly half of what he had. And then really, in all due honesty, there's only one thing you need to, to know how to do, which is actually in chapter seventeen. It's the final chapter, the second of the two lost chapters of Think and Grow Rich. Um, and, and you literally whittled it down to one. <laughs> so I try to, you know, minimize as much as I possibly can,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, cut out any of the slack if you can. And so, you know, it comes down to one. There's only one principle that's most important out of all of this, and that's Save it. Save
0: it. And Save it. We'll talk about it towards the end. Let's, let's hook people in. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. get that, that principle. That will be cool. So principles and steps, are we, are we sort of talking about one and the same? Are principles and steps sort of the same concept
1: not really principles are i guess you could say are laws if you will and then steps would be how you can act how? those out mm-hmm. or how you, yes um and so i think that's how i am able to diminish it down to you know just a handful because you have the basic principles but then you can whittle it down to things that you need to do every single day to be able to manifest what you want to want to do or that's, be in life
0: right well that's that, that makes sense to me. So have you personally used these steps when you wrote about the lost secret in your own life?
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, the most powerful one I have is my 30-day action plan. You're able to actually do most to anything as long as it's something that can realistically fit in 30 days. I mean, obviously, if you need to lose 200 pounds, that's not realistic to fit in in 30 days. But you could certainly mm-hmm. start the process of losing 200 pounds in the first 30 days. You just choose you know, more reasonable number, like maybe 20 pounds, the first 20 pounds. So I have the 30-day action plan, which is exceptionally powerful, and it seems like on its face it's not that big of a deal, but it really is the way I have people specifically write down the steps that they have to take, which is weekly. So you have your 30-day plan, and you start off with filling out the box that represents the fourth week or the final week. You'd think that it would be the first week that you'd fill out, but you don't do it that way. You actually work through the 30-day chart backwards starting with the final week and then moving up to the first week because the only way you're ever going to be able to start moving forward to to what you want is to actually know what you want. And most people, 99% of them out there, have no clue what they want. They don't know what they want. They don't know what they want to eat for, for lunch, let alone anything else in life. So to actually – Get, it, get your mind fixated on exactly what you want to accomplish in a set amount of time, which in this case I'm using the 30-day time frame, you can then say, okay, I know that I want to lose 20 pounds in that time frame, so what do I need to do now to start the process of getting that going? And that's how you can work backwards through the 30-day chart. So I found that my 30-day chart is mind-blowing in how well it works, how succinct it is, and how it really keeps people razor edge focus on their goal to where they can meet it almost every time as long as they stay focused.
0: It's it's interesting. I'm looking at that page in your book as we speak and um when you talk about my 30-day success plan, which the fact that you call it a success plan is different than my 30-day plan because yes. you've already implanted the word success. And right. then Underneath that, you write the single goal I want to achieve in the next thirty days is, and the way I'm going to do it is by accomplishing these critical things each week. Just think about how, if we all just wrote that down and and bought your purchased your book, which I think everybody should do, uh, then you could for yourself do that. If you if you are already razor focused, well, congratulations. But for most of us, we have a lot of different areas. Well, what do I want to do? First of all, for me, if you were working with me, if you were sitting together with me, and we were just talking about me now and not you particularly, but you've got the expertise, I think the first thing you'd want to identify and that I would want to identify is the definition of success. What does success mean? is it it's
1: well, obviously going to be different for everybody.
0: Yes, absolutely. But I don't think that the um, action plan for lack of a better word, your success plan would be any different regardless of what that is. If the if your success if you want a success plan on how you're going to re-landscape your property and and use drought resistant um, plants, well how are you going to go about doing that? And what's it going to take? for 30 days to make that happen or or you you are going to begin a new business venture i mean i can see where your book um really is applicable to anyone that wants to have um an understanding of their purpose and what they want to do it, it just makes total sense to me absolutely I, right, I but think also, it's great. too, the
1: key word there is to focus on one thing because I think everybody's all over the place where they're like, well, I just don't want to lose weight. I want a new car and I want this. Okay, well, why don't we start with one thing first, see how that goes, and then just focus on the remaining balance of what you want as time goes on. And I believe that that's why this success plan is so successful is because you, I force people to just focus on one thing right now the most important thing, the thing that you have the most desire to achieve in the next 30 days, and then you can move on to the rest of the stuff as you go along.
0: Thank you for that clarity because I I could see me and the way my brain works, okay, here's a success mm-hmm. plan for my radio show. Here's a success plan for my travel plans. You know, and what you're saying is, wait, 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 if you're going to um, spread that across a piece of bread, it, It's not, you aren't going to, you aren't going to be successful. You need to be focused. And I, 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 appreciate you helping me clarify that, that what is important to you right now and what are the steps that you're going to take to get there. And I think that that's, that's, that's really important.
1: What I love about that, though, is that it takes you off the hook for everything else. We put so much daily, weekly, monthly, annual pressure on ourselves. It starts usually with the new year, with this whole list we bust out, that we've oh, yes. got all the things that we have to do. And it's just a lot of pressure. And then, all, unfortunately, the way life is, it's so distracting and overwhelming anyway that it's very easy for us to just drop the ball on all of it and do absolutely nothing, none of it. And so what I like about the 30-day plan is it's like, okay, this is the only thing you're going to focus on for the next 30 days. Yes, you can open yourself up to the 101 other things after the 30 days, but let's just focus on the one thing. And it kind of gives you the breathing room to just focus on the one thing. And then you can worry about the rest of the stuff later. Let's just focus on the thing that you desire the most, whether it's losing the weight or starting the process of a more healthful lifestyle for yourself, or maybe just to get through – a 30-day workout plan for yourself just to see that you Mm -hmm. can do it. Um, And then it really lets you off the hook. You don't have to feel the pressure of all the other things that you feel like you're under pressure to get done like yesterday. I mean, all of that stuff kind of goes out the window, and you can worry about that later. Just focus on the, the, the greatest desire right now for 30 days by itself.
0: I think that's great and I heard you say like I said I've been mentioning this through this whole show is is words matter and and I and and a descriptive word that you used was it gives you some breathing room and yes. it's it's right back to that breath it, it we we for for many people that don't recognize that value and I didn't I am absolutely one of those people that did not recognize that value at all I am now that I'm and and just because i recognize it doesn't mean i've uh, perfected it by any means it, i am absolutely a work in progress but aren't we all and yes. this book is a is a guideline and i and i can appreciate without judgment how you might be able like you said i mean just what you've just said to me that makes sense to me find the find what it's really Important for you right now, and let those other things go because they're going to be there anyway. They they didn't disappear, but your but your focus is on that action plan, and that success plan, and how you're going to do that. The critical things you're going to do each week to achieve that. I just I think it's brilliant. Um, Do you think I I'm just going back to the book a little bit. Do you think that in your book there is a significance? in the order in which those steps are written, is it important that you, that you follow the steps chronologically?
1: Yes and no. There's certain steps, obviously, that, that need to go before others. Like, for example, when you identify your burning desire, you obviously have to know what that's going to be before you can move forward on any action plans or, you know, even the manifestation process through visualization, deep breathing, and the other exercises that I have. So obviously you have to have that in place first and foremost. I think once you have the burning desire in place and you know without a doubt what it's going to be, then the rest of the stuff can kind of be taken out of order if you so choose. And some of the mm-hmm. things might not need to be used at all. It just depends on who you are and what fits best with your personality and you know what makes you feel comfortable, what methods you like because we don't want you to be using methods you don't like because you're not going to respond well to them and they're certainly not going to work for you. So right. there are certain principles and methods that work well for you and others that might not be something that you want to do or something you don't believe on. in, so you just move to the next one.
0: Well, that's, that makes sense. So in the business world, what would you say are the top tips for being successful? if you could just, could you, are there some tips of people are listening that you would recommend that would help them be more successful in their business?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there are some. First of all, Get into something that you really want to do. Don't be doing stuff just for the money, because let's just be honest. If you want to do something just for the money, you could you could simply stand on the street corner and be a prostitute. I mean, it's got to be something mm-hmm. more than just for the money. You have to do something that you're really passionate about, really excited about. But then it also has to be some kind of product or service that people want. There are too many people get involved in businesses and they're trying to sell something that people are just not interested in. So we want to find out that there's a market there. There, There's people that really have a great interest in buying the things that you want to offer. And then doing the basic math, there's just so many people out there that don't understand what it's going to take just to sustain the overhead of a business, let alone being able to be profitable. Like, for example, if you want to run out there and start, um, you know, a donut store, you know, realize how many donuts you're going to have to sell just to be able to make the rent, let alone to be able to cover one employee and insurance and, you know, supplies and equipment and everything that you need to run the business. And so so many people, they don't, they don't take into consideration all of these mathematical equations. I mean, trust me, I am not very good at math at all. But you only need to know basic mathematics to figure out, let's see, if I want to start a donut store, how many donuts do I have to sell at a dollar a piece to cover my $5,000 a month rent? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to to know that it mm-hmm. takes a lot of donuts to do that. So, and right. are you willing to put that kind of energy behind that product, or would it be better to maybe focus on a different product that you have the same amount or more passion about that can be more profitable than selling dollar donuts all day. So these are the things that a lot of people don't think about. These are the things that they certainly do not teach in school, which is a crying shame, if you ask me, mm-hmm. because I think a mm-hmm. lot of people would be much more successful as entrepreneurs right off the bat if they did teach some of these basic skill sets in school at a young age.
0: There's so many things I think about that are not being taught in school today to function in today's world. Um, kindness might be one of them, but right. I think that what you've just said makes a great deal of sense because I suppose it's relative, Monica. You know, competition back in the 30s was was their reality and their competition. It certainly isn't relevant to the kind of competition that people have today and, and, and how different that is and how expensive it is to live and you only have to look around major cities, including where you live, where I live, where other people live, and recognize that there are people that do not make enough money to afford rent and housing their children and right. keeping them warm and keeping them fed. You know, there's there's a lot of things that we could improve upon and um, as a society, and I, I do think that that's – that's really really important, um, regardless of what you choose to do. I, I also want people to know that you do have um, a great website, and um, I'm going to I'm going to spell Monica's name completely out because Monica is spelled like you would think Monica would be spelled M O N I C A. Her last name Maine is spelled M A I N, not like the state. MonicaMaine dot com, and there's all kinds of um, um, things that are listed on your website. There's people that can visit you. You can, they can get in touch with you directly. I like it when you say uh, com See you at the top. I, I like the way that, I like your your logo for that. And I think that people that are listening can easily go to their favorite bookstore, or they can go to Amazon, or they can go wherever they'd like to purchase your book. Um, because I think that people that are listening. Um, would probably like to purchase this book, but you've this you you are really remarkable. I I I'm not going to say how old you are, but I'm just going to say what you've accomplished in a in a relatively short lifespan is quite remarkable. Because how many books have you actually written?
1: Um, maybe about five.
0: Yeah, that's five what books. I. Right. Yeah, about that. That's that's not an easy thing to do, writing a book, right? I mean, you don't write a book in a half an hour.
1: No, you don't. But see, I'm really passionate about teaching people how to build wealth. You know, I had to learn from scratch. I made a lot of business mistakes as I moved up the ladder because, like I mentioned, and like you mentioned, they don't teach these things in school. And, Mm -hmm. And according to the law and the government, if you don't know these things automatically, off the cuff, you know, you're responsible and liable for them regardless. And so... I wish people would teach more of these things. And so because they Mm -hmm. don't, I go out there and I teach people who want to become entrepreneurs and investors how to do it so that they don't have to make all the mistakes that I made when I first got started out. So that's what my books are for. And because I'm so passionate about it, it's very easy for me to write these books. It it, it does take time, obviously, but it's not very difficult.
0: Well, easy for you to say, right? Uh, I'm I'm looking at your page, and I'm just going to the um, seminars tab. Where um, you've had you had, there's an apprenticeship and there's a there's actually a cruise. I think that's really cool. You're going to do an Alaskan cruise in June and July this coming year.
1: Yes, I can't wait. That's oh. going to be a lot of fun. Oh
0: my gosh, that one's gosh. going to be more on the
1: spiritual, metaphysical side. It's not as much businessy as as I typically okay. like my events to be. But yes, that's going to be more of a spiritual, new age type of cruise that. My agent and publisher um, had me commit to, so I'm really excited about that. I'm really, really excited.
0: That is that is so cool. Have you ever been to Alaska on a cruise? I
1: I was just in Alaska this past um, summer for the first time, uh-huh. and let and let me tell you, it is a magical place. If you've never been, have you been?
0: Yep. Yes, and it's I went magical. in June.
1: Oh, my God. it's a magical place. There's something about it where it's so pure, like it's just untouched by humans for the most part, and you see all these whales and you see these eagles everywhere, and it's just a magical, magical place. And what I like about it is that if you have any internal blockages in your heart or your spirit or things that are holding you back, for some reason those things are kind of resolved. As you go through this kind of spiritual journey in Alaska, just by being there, it's just a magical place. It's almost like being kind of touched by a magical wand by a spirit fairy that decides that it wants to kind of absolve you from all the things that are holding you back. And it's just an amazing, magical place
0: for me. I couldn't agree more with you. What about just the crystal blue glaciers? What about just... The I don't know if um, I don't know if your cruise uh, when you did your personal cruise separate from what you're doing this coming June July, if it got if you got into Denali my I actually went in Denali on my cruise as well we got we did a land portion, but that's just like untouched territory and you mentioned the eagles and you mentioned the whales, that was such a peaceful experience and I could really imagine. How if there was a topic and you were one of those people that was presenting? Um, that sounds wonderful, and people can certainly um, check that out on your web page because uh, I think that that's that's, that's really awesome. Do you, are you? Do you have an? Do you do you have another book coming up? Or do you, are you, are you constantly always writing? Do you have something coming up for your future?
1: I want to write another book. I want it to be called The Four Success Quadrants because I believe that there's four success quadrants for anybody who wants to become successful in our business world today, in today's economic, uh, economics and economy. And so that's the next one I'm thinking about is, is that one.
0: Wow. You don't teach, do you? I mean, are, do you ever go into, you know, the university or any places where you just are a presenter?
1: No, I've thought about it. I actually thought about how awesome it would be to, to do that part-time, to have a real entrepreneurship class. Because if, if you recall at the very beginning of this conversation, how right. deflated I was as a 16-year-old in an entrepreneurial class taught by an instructor that never owned a business, how amazing it would be to be taught by somebody who actually has owned multiple businesses and has been highly successful in real estate investing and other endeavors. And so, yeah, that's a good idea. I think it's great. I would love to do I, that.
0: I'll tell, I'll tell you what made me think of this. Um, I live very, very – I'm walking distance to Loyola Marymount University, which I realize is not exactly in your backyard. That would be a schlep. But one of my closest friends worked in the executive MBA office at – Loyola Marymount University and part of what they did in that university program it's a weekend program basically is they do international travel and I've been fortunate to go with them as a guest and travel all around the world but I could see where you would be such an exceptional even if you just came for two Saturdays or you were just the guest speaker where you didn't have to make the full commitment to be the professor but you could just be an invited guest. Oh my gosh, you have so much you could bring to the table to people that could really learn from somebody other than a professor professor, which you know, I understand that's not what your responsibilities are, but I could see, I mean, you're out you you go to Pepperdine, you could go out to the colleges that are closer to where you live. I would think that any of those universities would be fabulous. And that's not to mention, let's drop it down a notch. What about um, a high school leadership class? You know, what, you know, I could just see you being in all kinds of places. I could see you just guest speaking on a regular basis all over the place that people would really want to know more about you and your strategies i just think that you are just a a truly a fascinating person with a really exciting life but you do have to balance right i mean if you were to look back today and we've kind of talked about who you were as that nine-year-old and you were to say to yourself okay i'm gonna now now what i know about me where i am at my age this is the advice i would give you my younger person me W- w- would you have some advice that you would give yourself, knowing what you do today?
1: As the as the person who's now in her forties, to the nine year old, or to somebody a little older yes. than the nine year old? Yes. No,
0: a person a person that who you are today, giving some advice to the person that you were as the nine year old, not knowing what was going to be ahead of you.
1: I think I would have told myself to not be in such a hurry because I've feel like because I was nine at that time and I wanted to think and grow rich and I started to think about entrepreneurial types of endeavors just at a very young age. And I was in such a mad rush, even even as early as nine, ten, eleven, to become successful. And I didn't give myself the time to be an apprentice or to learn properly or to, you know, do things correctly the way maybe they should have been done. And I would have told myself that you don't have to be in a hurry. You just let things mm-hmm. unfold as they unfold, you know. And I think that would have been the biggest message I would have had for myself.
0: That's that's you know, that's,
1: give, that's give yourself yeah. self time to breathe. Give yourself time to grow up. You know, play, be a kid. You're not in a mad rush because trust me, there's a lot of time you got to be an adult on this earthly plane. Absolutely, so don't rush into it. Do not rush into I'm, it.
0: It's so interesting how driven you were at such a young age. So today, in today's life, with as busy as you are, what do you do? You ha- you have a family. You 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 have a-, a thriving business. How do you balance all of that? Those those balls that we all seem to juggle. How do you personally balance your life to to just keep I, it calm?
1: I just keep going day to day, and I don't think too much of the mechanics because I think if my brother had asked me, I think it was last year, he's like, how do you do it all? How do you, you know, sustain your household and your life? And I told him, I'm like, you know, if I actually sat here and thought about it, A, I would become very depressed, and B, I'd probably end up dropping all the balls at that point because I would even start to second guess myself, like, how am I holding all this together? So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think just the ma- it's just the magic of letting it go, letting it be, letting it do its thing. And I think a lot of components work on their own in kind of a magical way, if you will. And I just focus on what I'm really good at, which is marketing and investing and working with my students and, you know, just teaching people, sharing the message of being self-reliant and, you know, a wealth-building entrepreneur. That's what my goal is in life, is my purpose is to teach other people how to, what we call become a from-scratch entrepreneur and millionaire. And I'm very good at what I do, and that's my sole purpose in life, and that's what I focus in on. As long as I focus on that dream and that goal, then everything else kind of falls into place on its own.
0: That's nice. Do you find that you have to add exercise to your day?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I do about a half an hour a day. That's about all I can do, but I have Uh to because it helps me stay more focused, and it Mm -hmm. also keeps me in shape. and. You know, I had to lay off a little bit because I had an ankle issue, my right ankle, but now mm-hmm. I'm back into it, and I'm just really glad because the exercise is also to what they call pranayama, which is the breathing. And I noticed that when I don't exercise, I don't breathe as much, and the exercise really does, especially do weight, doing weightlifting and yoga and all of that stuff, forces the breath. And you need the breath to be, to me, a very sharp human being and a very elated spiritual being. So the breath is everything.
0: It is. I think that self-care is important, too. I think that oftentimes we all, as humans, could do a better job of some self-care, and I've become very uh, aware of that in my life as well, and reminding myself that, you know, a good night's sleep is pretty important. Maybe getting your nails done is important that week, too, but you know i think self care sometimes we we don't really realize that it, it that 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 there's value in self care because it does allow us then to be productive and and have these goals that we set for ourselves and then have the success of of reaching them and i so i think that that's that's equally important so i i just marvel at what you're doing i think that this this other book that you're working on now the four the four success quadrants it just seems like the the natural progression of what you're doing, and I think that will be really very exciting. And you'll have to come back and join me when you finish that book a week from tomorrow. And no, I'm kidding. And you know, because <laughs> no. so, I, I just I think that you, I think you're very inspiring. And and one of the reasons I love doing my shows each week is because people do have their stories, and people do have their passions, and it's great to speak with someone. That feels that passion and that love and that joy, and more importantly, wants to share it. You know, it's one thing if you have it all inside, big deal, but if nobody knows about it, well, you know, I mean, maybe you don't have to share everything about yourself, although I probably would be considered an overshare. I, you know, I think it's great what you're doing, Monica, and I'm just, I'm so delighted that in such a busy season that we're in right now that you took this time to spend this hour with me. It's just it's been a pleasure truly.
1: Well, thank you so much.
0: Well, I I wish you all the best future successes. I look forward to the opportunity of perhaps visiting with you again towards the end of the year. And for everybody that is um is listening now, don't think that there won't be a show next week because there will be. There's these. I'm actually going to do a show um, all the way through December. I'm probably going to give myself a break. I have not taken a Monday off this entire year. Every single Monday I've had a show. And I think that I'm going to – we talked about a little bit about self-care. And I think on the 30th of December, while my kids are visiting from Tucson – I may just give myself the day off. But trust me, I have shows booked all the way into the middle of February, so the show will go on. But for today, I just want to thank you once again. And for all of you that listen, I appreciate that as well. Have a lovely week, everybody, wherever you are. And I look forward to having you join me again next week. And thanks once again, Monica, for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Okay. Bye.
1: Bye.